It says, He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings or bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. And his righteousness endures forever. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Let's stop there, guys. This man, in verse 4, there's a little bit of a description of his character, of what it looks like on the inside. You know, we often think of, when we talk about a difference maker, we might tend to think in our, in our minds, well, a difference maker is, is a man who makes a difference because of what he does. And if you think about it, Psalm 112 really reveals something awesome to us. You see, in Psalm, in Psalm 112, it's almost split half and half. You see, there's a little bit of a description of who he is, of his character, of his, his makeup, of what's, what goes on on the inside. And then there's a description of what he does. So who he is is part of being a difference maker, and what he does is also part of being a difference maker. It's not just this laundry list of actions or things that he does that truly make him a difference maker. It's not simply the works of our hands that impact people for eternity. It should be the content of our heart. It should be, what is that Christ-like character, what is the nature of God doing inside of us? You see, as Christians, we well know, and we've been taught for a long time, we think that we impact the world and change the world through what we do. And though that can be part of it, really, if you think about it, we impact the world more, not just in what we do, but because of who we are, because of the content that is within us. The, the, the nature and the makeup of the character and personality of God through the Holy Spirit who lives in us is our motivation. He is what equips us and helps us to truly be a people who make a difference. It's not just about our hands, it's about our heart. And here, if you're taking notes, man, the first thing is this. He has godly features. This man who truly makes a difference... It has the character and the nature of God. He, to put it simply, looks like God. Notice the description in verse 4. He is gracious, full of compassion, and righteous. Three simple descriptions. He is gracious, full of compassion, and he chooses intentionally to do what is right. Those are awesome characteristics. Where did he learn those? Did he come out and, and immediately just on his own think, you know what, I need to be gracious. You know what, I need to be full of compassion. You know what, I need to be righteous. I need to do what is right. No, though that character is found in its perfect form through his relationship with God. Remember I told you one of the first things that we learned about this guy in Psalm 112 was that he takes God seriously? I mean, he knows 
He knows who God is. He understands who God is as God has revealed himself to him through his word. He takes God seriously. This is an experience for him. He has encountered God. He knows who he is, and he doesn't want, he wants to bring him glory and honor. So this guy has these features on the inside. He is gracious like God. He's full of compassion like God. He is not afraid to allow his heart to be broken over what he sees in the world. He is not one to distance himself and remove himself from the needs. He is much like Jesus when he stepped out on the boat and was moved with compassion because he saw all a multitude of people who were like sheep having no shepherd. We may talk about compassion. I teach on compassion. You have talked about compassion. But do you know really how we get compassion? I mean, do you really know what the makeup, what is the main ingredient of compassion? Obviously, it is a branch of love. But even more, it seems overall, as you read through the Bible, that when we see someone who has compassion, that, that grows and festers inside of them, and it produces some type of loving response. But it seems as though the reason we find compassion in the Bible is because someone has recognized something that someone else doesn't have and needs. You remember when Jesus stepped out of the boat in the gospel? And he saw the multitude and was moved with compassion because they were what? As sheep having no shepherd. They needed direction. They needed healing. They needed guidance. They needed protection. They needed providence. Jesus looked out and saw they didn't have something. He was moved with compassion on that and sought to do something about it. And he makes right decisions. These are all descriptions of the inside. If we are trying to be a difference maker, seeking to be a difference maker in life, and only focusing on our actions, we're missing it. It's about the content of our heart. What is that producing in our life by way of action? Notice the second thing. Verse 5, a good man deals graciously and lends. There's that word gracious again. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. He will never surely be shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of the tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Notice verse 9, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever think about this for a moment this man deals graciously in verse 5 he is a man who realizes the needs and he by grace provides what is needed if you notice the second part he lends there are moments where people will come up to him and they will need something maybe it's money and this guy will assess the situation he will deal with discretion in his life. He will look and see if that is the best possible way to be a blessing to them. And he will lend if he needs to. But as verse 9 also showed us, there will be those moments where it's not about lending. It's not about giving something to somebody so that they'll get it back, so you'll get it back. Um, you'll help them through this rough season and they'll understand, well, when I get on my feet, I'm going to give it back. This guy deals graciously, he lends, and he gives. He understands the best possible use of money. How could he do that? How could he always understand the best possible way to use his money to be a difference maker for someone else? It's because of this, guys. 
This is huge. This second point is probably more important than all the rest in regards to being a difference maker. This guy, number two, sees himself as a river rather than a reservoir. Think about this for a moment. He sees himself as a river rather than a reservoir that stores up. His life is about, remember in in the very early description of this man, that wealth and riches will be in his household? The eternal or the temporal blessings in his life, as as said here, by way of, uh, of finances. Wealth and riches will be in his household. God has blessed him either through the faithfulness of using his money wisely and honoring God with it, or it's just those supernatural blessings where God wants to bless this man and he chooses to bless him through finances. I told you last time, finances are not always a blessing to everybody. Sometimes they can mess your life up. But this guy has wealth and riches in his house. So what does he do? Does he want to hoard it and greet it and keep it all for himself and save it for his children? No. This guy chooses to not allow greed and love of things to rob him of being a difference maker in somebody's life. I think it is interesting that of this man who makes a difference, a multitude of the description deals with how he handles his money. He says, you know what? I got this from God. God has been good to me. And I want to use this to bless somebody else. Why do you think they made such a big deal out of money? Because, guys, we know the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evils. The Bible reminds us that love of money can quench out and greatly diminish our love for God. Love of money can easily, quickly become our God if we will allow it. So what the writer does is go to the thing that is often the most tempting for most people and say, you know what, even that which most people clamor for, most people would be willing to lie, cheat, and steal for. This guy says, not me. Not me. God has blessed me. And I'm not going to be a reservoir storing it up, holding on to all of it. I'm going to use it for the glory of God to make a difference in somebody's life. Notice, just a moment, look at verse 3. Wealth and riches will be in his house. But notice the next part of verse 3. And his righteousness endures forever. Verse 3 speaks about wealth, about money. And immediately after that, in the same context, it says his righteousness endures forever. Look at verse 5. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. Listen, the righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. Notice verse 6. Or excuse me, verse 8. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Notice 9. He is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures. How long? Guys, of the description of him and his eternal impact, 
Both the word never, everlasting, and forever are used to describe this man's eternal impact. And in their context, they're all used within the context of how he uses the money he has for the glory of God. He uses that which is temporal, that which will burn away, that which will melt with fervent heat, and he puts it and stores it up in a storehouse by blessing others with it for the glory of God. He sees it as a tool. Money works for him. He doesn't work for money. Of all the instances where it's describing his eternal impact, it all has a reference, a connection to how he invests his resources. He truly is a man storing up for himself riches. Where moth does not destroy, rust does not corrupt, nor thief break in and steal. This man is wise in the greatest sense of the word. Notice the third thing, please. This dude, I tried to think of a really eloquent way to say this. I really did. I mean, I invested some time in preparation. And the only thing I can think of, I, I just kind of threw eloquence out the door. Let me just say this. Number three, this guy's rock solid. This guy is the epitome of unflinching. This is the fun part, guys. Go back to number to verse four. I told you it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this psalm. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. Remember, I told you that this guy's a difference maker even when it's dark. It says, unto the upright there arises light. Or Psalm 119 says that the entrance of your word brings light. This guy knows, even though there is a dark season or a dark moment in his life, this man sees light shine. I told you light represents our closeness and fellowship with God. Light represents life and blessing. Light represents guidance and, and, and direction on our path. This man, in the midst of darkness, while others are groping and clamoring and blind because they can't see, this man knows where to go. He knows what to do. He is never without directions. He has that divine garment that we call the Word of God and His instruction. This man knows in the midst of dark, He is leading. Notice the second description in verse 6. Surely he will never be shaken. Surely he will never be shaken. This man's not just going to have light in the darkness. He is not going to fall, man. When moments are shaky, when things are starting to rock other families, when things are starting to rock communities, when things are starting to rock a nation, this guy is not rocking, guys. He is solid. He is steadfast. Why? Because he's got so much money? No. Why? Because his kids are mighty and moral? No! He is not going to move because he knows the rock that he's standing on. He knows, though heaven and earth may pass away, the word of God abides forever. He knows that when he's doing what is right, he doesn't have to worry about anything else. The man who kneels before God has nothing to fear. Truly, the man who trusts in God totally has his faith in him. He doesn't have to worry about anything. Because the only thing he would have to worry about, he's in a right relationship with. It's God. He knows God's not going to fail him. He knows God's not going to abandon him. He knows he can trust. He, he knows he can trust the word of God, whether it's popular or not. 
He knows he can trust the word of God whether nobody does or not. He is not afraid to stand alone and confront a lost world. In the midst of darkness, his life is undimmed. In the midst of shaky times, he is unmoved. And notice verse number 7. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. Not just undimmed in darkness, not just unmoved in shaky times, but this man is unafraid when people bring bad news. By the way, did you all notice he had enemies? You know what's kind of funny, guys? Think about this. If you want to think about who, who were difference makers in the Bible, Obviously, Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Okay, there. Jesus was a difference maker. And you know what, guys? He still is, I hear. He's still making a difference. You know, if you go back to the New Testament, one of those ordinary men that Jesus called who did extraordinary things with his, for his glory, the disciples. Let's take Judas out of, the, out of the mix for a little while. At least 11 of those guys made a tremendous difference in the world. But another man that made a great difference was the Apostle Paul. There's no way that I could stand up here talking about being a difference maker and not reference the Apostle Paul. You know what I, what I love so much about that guy, guys? Think about this. The Apostle Paul, when you read about his endeavors in the book of, the, in the book of Acts, you find something unique about him. Probably, it's probably more clearly seen in his life than many others, just simply because of the number of things that God did with him and through him, and how much ink has been given him in the Bible. But you know this one interesting thing about the Apostle Paul? It seems that everywhere he went, wherever he went, there were only two responses to him. There were only two responses to his life or to his ministry. Wherever he went, there was either a riot or revival. Those are really the only two options. If you're Paul, and you go into a town, and you start proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, you start being an ambassador for Christ's sake and appealing for the lost to come to faith in Christ. And you're either going to have a revival or you're going to have a riot on your hands. And both of those are recorded in the book of Acts. He had this man, this blessed man, had enemies. And they would say bad things. They would say the bad things were coming. They'd bring him evil tidings. He didn't care. He was unafraid of their evil tidings. You know why? The good news that he knew of outweighed the bad things that he didn't know. The promises that he had in Scripture would allow him to hear those bad tidings, evil tidings, bad news from his enemies. And he would be able to hear those in one ear and turn over and listen to God and know that God said, you know what? doesn't matter. I've got you. He believed, it, this man believes it is better to be in the middle of God's will than anything else. I want you to see verse 8. It reminds us, again, his heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He is undimmed in the darkness. He is unmoved in shaky times. He is unafraid by evil news. And he is undefeated by his enemies. Even though they rose up against him, they watched him. They looked for him to fall. They tried to startle him with bad news. 
At the end of the day, when the dust settled and the smoke cleared, this man was the one that was standing. This man was undefeated in regards to his enemies. Why? Because his friend was God. His hope was in God alone. His trust was in the word of God and his promises. Speaks as much about his blessings as it does his challenges. You see, this guy was not just a difference maker when it was easy. This guy was a difference maker when times were hard. This guy was unchanging and unwavering. And you know what, if you think about it? In the times of darkness, isn't that when it's the easiest to see the light? In the times when it seems like the whole world is going crazy and falling apart and, and looking for the, the bubble in the middle of the level. And aren't you thankful for those guys that say, hey, you know what? I know what the truth is. And I'm going to stand on the truth. Don't you love it when you watch the news and you hear an unsettling report? Or someone saying, yeah, this bad thing is about to happen and we should expect it in, in a certain amount of time. Aren't you glad to be that guy that says, you know what, nothing is going to come upon me that has not first come through my Lord's hands? Aren't you glad to know that when your enemies want to bring you down as, as a follower of God, when your enemies try to discredit you, try to, try, to, try to turn you the other way, try to impact your life for worse, aren't you glad to know that you can say, you know what, there's coming a day and I know as a child of God that I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. What promises are ours? Notice, please, verse number 10. The wicked will see it and be grieved. What will they see? The fact that this man is like the spiritual version of the Energizer Bunny. He is not stopping. He's kind of like my old Honda Accord. This guy's not going to stop. And you know what? It really ticks off the wicked. They don't like it. They see this man walking in blessings. They see God doing great things in his life and through his life. And look at the description of him. The wicked will see it and be grieved. Look at this. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. Gnashing one's teeth is a description of severe disappointment or severe suffering and torment. So it's moved from, from grief now to just crazy talk. Look at, the, look at the last part. The desire of the wicked shall perish. We see both here the frustration of the wicked, the fury of the wicked, and the folly of the wicked. They look at this guy. They can't figure him out and they can't get him to stop. They get to the point that they're gnashing their teeth, so upset, so angry, and before long, they disappear. Over. Done. Who's left standing? The difference maker. The difference maker. Guys, you know what I love? Let me end with this. This guy stands out. This is the kind of guy that is so remarkably different from the wicked. There is such an incredible contrast in his life. He is not just a difference maker. He is different. 
And people can look at him and be able to see that there's something unique and extraordinary about this man. And it's not long before they realize that this man is different because of his God. Last night I was reading a book. There are seasons and moments I go through as a pastor. There are times where I do almost all of my research and preparation and study through the week. Sometimes, on rare occasions, I will be prepared and ready weeks in advance. And even though I have been ready and prepared for weeks and weeks for this message in this short little two-part series, I still sat down last night. I was, I was in my bed, and I had this little book, and, and I was reading through it. And honestly, I wasn't really reading for this series. But I came across something, and I'm so thankful I did. And I want to tell you, this is a quote from a guy I don't know. Maybe some of you do. I don't. His name's Phillips Brooks. And listen to this quote. No grace or blessing is truly ours until God has blessed someone else with it through us. No grace or blessing is truly ours until God has blessed someone else with it through us. What are we going to do? What do we do with this description that we've heard? Do we continue to live our lives the way it is, the easy way? The narrow path? The path of least resistance and very little confrontation? A path that, you know what, we might not be raising a big, we might not be having a lot of enemies, but you know what, we haven't really blessed a lot of people either. Are we willing to say today, If you know Jesus Christ, are you willing to come to God today if need be and say, God, I'm sorry. I have become a reservoir. I've been taking what you give me and I've been holding it firm. I've been, it's my rat hole. I've been holding on to it and stocking up for me. But what if this morning God gets a hold of us in a way that maybe he hasn't for a long time. And we come to God and we say, I'm sorry. God, help me as a follower of Jesus Christ. Be a difference maker. You know the greatest good you can do for anybody? We always hear this argument of the greater good. You know the greatest thing you can do for anybody, I promise you, is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with That is the greatest thing you can do to tell them that their sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. To tell them that they can have a brand new life all because of Him. That's the greatest thing you or I can do. And what we ought to do in our life is to be able to look at our resources and say, God, how can I use those? How can I invest those? How can I store those up for good? How can I give someone a drink of water in the name of Jesus Christ? Guys, This guy did not part the sea. This guy, he didn't defeat a giant. This guy did not liberate an entire nation of people out of bondage. This guy did not command the sun to stand still. This guy simply used what he had for the glory of God. There's no great accomplishment attached. But the accomplishment impacted people for eternity. Where do we stand with God?
Do we take God seriously? This morning, are we serious about making a difference? Guys, time is short and it's only getting shorter. That's not, a, that's not a use of a scare tactic. That's just the truth. And hopefully we will realize that the day is about to dawn. And when that day comes, that we will see that we've done everything we can to move people into the kingdom.